I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Man, what a couple of days, what a week in the NBA Finals and this matchup between the Golden State Warriors and the Toronto Raptors, which as we sit is a 3-2 series with Toronto in the lead going back to Oracle Arena for Game 6. And there's so many things to look at uh, from the last few games, but I'm going to mostly focus on Game 5 because it dictated so much of what is about to happen over the next few days. Going into Game 5, we didn't really know what to expect. Uh, I mean, just the day before, I mean, there had been media reports. Durant doesn't look good. Uh, he's probably not going to play. Uh, yada, yada, yada. And then the day of, you know, he's questionable, but it's probably all just a ruse. I mean, he wasn't even practicing until a few days ago. I mean, why would he, or what are the odds that he comes out and plays? And then a few hours before, Durant's looking good. Warm During warm-ups, uh, there's the video of him making 11 shots in a row to silence the Raptors crowd that was watching his every move. And there was so much uncertainty because games three and four uh, had... The whole game wasn't dominated by Toronto, but it had been the style of play that, uh, that Toronto wanted, uh, in game four in particular. Because game three, um, Steph had, had a miraculous game, but... It just wasn't enough because uh, he didn't have enough support. Game four, the Warriors were almost at full strength, with one notable exception, of course, in Durant. But Toronto really took advantage of that, dictated the style of play. They limited Clay Thompson. They limited, and even though he shot it well, um, he was limited in his run ability. Like, there weren't any major Warrior runs that we're so used to seeing over these last five years. And they took advantage of Durant being out um, by really allowing isolation to build out into getting open looks for their three-point shooters, their 3 and D guys. And once those guys got hot, I mean, once like Danny Green got hot, it, it's, it's over. And the Raptors were one run away. It's like the Warriors were for so many years. They're one run away from pretty much taking the game over and winning it easily which is what we're used to seeing the Warriors do, but now it's the Raptors with their depth uh, and Kawhi Leonard. And so Game 5 coming in, if the, we knew that if the Warriors had Durant back, it was going to be a totally different story um, because Toronto would be severely limited in that run ability uh, because of Durant on the offensive and his length on the defensive end, which really uh, came out in the brief time he was in when he was guarding guys like Van Vliet. Um, because against a small man, Van Vliet can rise over him. Against a big man, Van Vliet takes him off the dribble. Um, and I'm not talking about just Van Vliet, but guys like you know Danny Green as well. Um, and, but with Durant, you have the length to prevent him from getting open looks that allow him to get in rhythm. Um, but you also have the agility to not let him get to the paint. So you're forcing you know tough 20-footers, 25-footers, um, things like that. And that allows the defense to really settle in and prevents the Raptors' offense from getting flowing. Um, and 
we started to see that uh, at the beginning of the game before Durant went down. The Warriors really looked like themselves. Uh, I mean, they were moving the ball. They were hitting shots. I mean, they were, what, 7 for 10? Uh, I think it was from 3. Uh, they were hot uh, early. And with the ball movement and everything, that's what we're so used to seeing. And Durant, obviously, um, being able to put in ISO buckets as well, going 3 for 3 uh, from 3-point range while he was in the game. And that, I think, should quiet all the talk forever. I mean, obviously we don't know how long Durant's going to be on the Warriors still, but that should have quieted all the talk about the Warriors being better without KD. Um, because even if KD brings an ISO element that the Warriors don't necessarily want, it's tiring for them to run that much and run the offense for that long without slipping or having physical fatigue or mental fatigue. Um, and Durant is really the saving grace when they need it, and they definitely needed it going into Game 5. And I think without Durant, it's going to be a whole different story, but let's go to the rest of Game 5. And as far as the injury itself, uh, as soon as I saw, you know, watching it live, I, I didn't uh, see him get hurt when he went down. I thought he just tripped or something, but... As soon as they showed the replay and they and I saw it was non-contact and I saw it was when it when he, when the uh, when there was the pop, that's the moment you know it's bad um, because it's not like a stinger you can just walk off. That's got to be some lasting thing from uh, what had happened earlier. And I'm not going to go ahead and and put the blame on anyone for this injury. I think it's one of those things where it was I don't want to say consensus decision because that sounds like Durant dictated the whole thing and but Durant wanted to be out there uh, I mean it was pretty clear that he wanted to be out there for his teammates he wanted to be out there to win another championship uh, and the doctors I believe that they cleared him um, perhaps there were some re-injury risks uh, that if we're taken to account we're not taken to account appropriately but I believe that he was physically ready to play. Um, and and I, I don't think there was any malintent. Uh, I don't think anybody should be sued. It's really unfortunate that it happened, but I, I don't think that this was preventable to the point where it should have been prevented. Uh, I think it's one of those things that is not a freak accident, but pretty close to it. Um, and that, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, but after Durant went down, uh, you got the sense that the Warriors were going to be inspired, both by Durant going down and the crowd reaction, which was questionable at best and malicious at worst. Um, but DeMar it, what, it, what really ended up happening was it led to a burst of energy that the bench in particular has not had, um, and DeMarcus Cousins has not had over the last uh, couple of games. He came up huge with bench scoring. I think he had nine points in like the first five minutes that he was in, and he really provided the presence down low that they've been missing this basically entire series. But uh, it was only brief. The Raptors came back, uh, and you, you kind of got the sense that that was going to happen. They're at home. They're a very talented team. They, they know how to beat this Warrior team, and you got the sense that this was going to go down to the wire. Um, because these teams know each other so well at this point. They know when other teams are going to go on runs. Um, and, and you got the sense that the Raptors were going to make it a close game, and they did. Um, and from there, it was a question of 
I, I think I said this to myself or my friend with about six minutes to go. I said, okay, this game, or, or even with going into the fourth quarter, uh, this game is going to be won by a run. Uh, the question is, who's it going to be by? Um, because they showed a stat, I think, that there hadn't been a single lead change in the fourth quarter all series. And we we got some in game five. But going into the fourth quarter, I thought, okay, I'm, there might be a lead change. But when there is, it's probably going to be the only lead change in the entire game. And it sure looked like it was heading that way because Kawhi Leonard took over in the middle of that fourth quarter, scoring 10 points in a row to put the Raptors up six, and they had the ball. And I legitimately thought the game was over at that point because Kawhi was buzzing, and I was sure he was going to extend that lead to eight or nine in that possession. And for all of the talk of the Warriors' quote-unquote championship medal, uh, they hadn't shown it all series. Uh, with the exception of maybe game two, um, which they where they kept the lead basically the whole game or not the whole game but during crunch time, they hadn't shown that ability to make comebacks and get more importantly get key stops uh, in, all, in all series game one game three and game four, and I legitimately thought this was going to end up being like a fifteen point game uh, when it was all said and done, but. I think what ended up happening was the timeout shifted the momentum, whether it was called by Nick Nurse or Kyle Lowry or whoever. Uh, that definitely shifted the momentum because it allowed Golden State to cool down and kind of process what had happened because Golden State basically had no more timeouts to burn. They had one timeout, but you got to save that for the end of the game. And this game, this series, was basically over. Uh, I had no doubt the Raptors would score again that possession. It would be a 9-point or 8-point game with two minutes to go, or, or three minutes to go, with Toronto having all the momentum, the crowd on their side, and everything else, and yet you let the crowd calm down, you let the Warriors calm down and get into a defensive set that would end up winning them the game. Uh, and that's going to end up coming back to bite them if the series goes the other way. And the Warriors took advantage going on a 9 nothing run, including two clay Thompson threes and a Steph Curry three, I believe. Might have been two Steph and one Clay, but either way. I think Clay Thompson uh, was probably the biggest factor in the Warriors winning this game. Not only did he have great defense on Kawhi, uh, that last possession in particular, but his late three to take the lead um, was massive because if he doesn't hit that, it becomes a one minute ball game and all of the pressure is on Golden State because the Raptors have a 3-1 lead. They know that if they lose, it's not a big deal. They're going to kind of run around with a little reckless abandon. And he hits that shot, and now the Raptors are the ones who have to claw back. And I think that late three uh, was... It ended up being the game-winning shot, and it just totally deserved that name. And I'm still in awe of the fact that they were able to stop Kawhi Leonard and prevent him from scoring again in this game. Um, because when he was cooking, not only was he hitting shots, but it just seemed like he was able to get to anywhere he wanted on the floor. I mean, you watch him. When Toronto first took the lead, It when he was going up the floor, I said, he's pulling up. He pulled up. Uh, when he drives, you know he's going to drive, put his head down, back up, take that little uh, eight-foot little floater shot, 
um, and it hits nothing but net. And you felt that he could get anywhere he wanted on the floor, and there was nothing the Warriors could do to stop him. And that's where I give all the credit in the world to Clay Thompson uh, and the rest of the, the te- Warriors for team defense to, to understand that Kawhi Leonard is going to hurt you if you don't put bodies on him. Um, and that's what they were uh, able to do, and that's what ended up winning them that game because they couldn't get stops on series, and they were able to get, I think, like four consecutive stops in crunch time when they needed them the most. Um, and a lot of it, too, was pressuring them into late shot clock situations. I think part of it was that Toronto... Another reason why the timeout may have hurt them, it seemed like when Toronto came out, they were more in... Uh, and, and there's an argument to be made on both sides, but they were in kind of clock waste mode, right? They weren't running the offense that had gotten them that far. When they were on fire, they weren't necessarily waiting till the end of the shot clock to take shots. Uh, they were just running through Kawhi, and when Kawhi had an open shot, he took it. Um, and I think if they had kept running that offense, they win this game. But instead, they used up clock and ended up getting poor shots late in the shot clock. And that offense, that really slowed down their offense. But I think for Golden State, I mentioned Klay Thompson already, but it was a total team effort. Uh, I mean, Steph with the game-tying three, that's a really tough shot. If you go try that in your backyard right now, to have to come off a screen, square up, fading to your right with a defender not exactly on you, but still near your shooting hand, that's a very, very tough shot. Um, And for Steph to hit it at that clutch moment to know that your season's on the line is huge. Uh, Also, on that last defensive possession, I had about as good of a feeling as I'm ever going to have with the Warriors on defense during that possession because they were locked in. Um, and with, with Toronto not taking the timeout there, they could run that same defense that had gotten them to that point. Uh, and Andre Iguodala coming up with the trap on Kawhi. Uh, on, on ESPN, Tim Legler did a great job breaking that possession down. But uh, Iguodala with the double team on Kawhi to get it out of his hands, because Kawhi basically had no choice there. Um, and prevent Kawhi from taking that game-winning shot, because you know... It was going in. If he took that shot, I'm I'm convinced that there was like a 70% chance he was hitting a game-winning shot. Um, And then also Draymond Green with the block on Kyle Lowry to win them the game, really. Um, Because I I think Kyle Lowry makes that shot if Draymond doesn't get a hand on it. Uh, I know Kyle Lowry is not typically clutch, and that was the narrative coming out of it once that shot went off the side of the backboard. Um, But that's a shot to win a championship. Um, And I I think Lowry's gotten a lot better in those late-game situations. And Draymond with the block, uh, basically saving the Warriors' season, uh, was massive. And it ended up being one of the more emotionally draining games I think I've ever watched, with Durant going down and the late-game heroics from Golden State. Uh, That was a dramatic, that was ultimate theater. Um, I don't think we're going to get another game like that again. Now, for all of that, the Warriors now down 3-2, heading back to Oracle. They're still in trouble. Uh, Obviously, Durant being out um, makes the situation exactly like games 3 and 4, which we know how those went for Golden State. But also, there's just some things that were anomalistic from game 5. Toronto shot 8 for 32 from 3. That's definitely not going to happen again. 
Um, and the Warriors only still only won by one with that. And other than that stretch where he took over the game, Kawhi was 5 for 20 from the field. He had a horrible shooting night. Uh, and his whole team had a pretty bad shooting night. And so for the Warriors to win Game 6 and by extension Game 7, they're not only going to need MVP Steph Curry and Game 6 Clay. But they're going to need another bad shooting night from Toronto, and, and they're going to have to, more importantly, prevent them from going on runs. Um, and that's going to be a large task for them to handle. Um, I, I'm still not sure that they're going to win this series, that they're even going to force a Game 7, just because of how bad they looked at Oracle the last couple of times. But I guess we'll see. I think one one thing that maybe is unique to this situation is having that last game at Oracle. Because this is a little different from, you know, the regular season last game at Oracle was kind of, you know, not super climactic. Um, and, and game four, obviously with the fans leaving with a minute to go and all of that, you know, people were kind of sad about, or uncertain about that. Because it might have been the last game at Oracle, it might have not been. But game six at Oracle Arena will be... For sure, the last NBA game ever played in that arena. The fans know it. The players know it. And adrenaline is going to be running very high. I have no doubt that that crowd is going to be, you know, vintage Oracle. Um, and it's going to be some of the loudest arena sounds that it's ever made, produced. And the Warriors in particular, I feel like they know how to play off adrenaline. I mean, in... In 2016, you know, going having Game 7 in the Western Conference Finals against Oklahoma City, right? That crowd was crazy. Uh, the Warriors feed, uh, feeding off of the crowd. Also going on the road, and they almost play better on the road when, with their backs against the wall. They know how to harness that energy and put it to good use. Now, sometimes they all, that means also they commit turnovers. But I think... They understand what they need to accomplish. They understand how to take a crowd and use it to propel themselves. And I think the bench in particular is going to get a boost from that. So I think ultimately this last game at Oracle is going to be pretty even. And I wouldn't be surprised if the line matches that. Um, because the Raptors look like the better team right now, particularly without Durant. But Oracle Arena is going to be crazy. And I think that... That's why the Warriors have a decent fighting chance in this game. And finally, I just want to end by saying, I mean, you have, like, Durant, I feel so bad for Durant. Uh, because, like I said earlier, I mean, he worked so hard to get back. And if he was rushed, I mean, maybe, but he seemed, and I don't think we see this often enough, he seemed genuinely excited to be out there playing. I mean, he had a look on his face that was like, I'm going to come out and make shots, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it, and that's that. Uh, I mean, he, there was no rust, it seemed. Even on the defensive end, where I think we were a little more uncertain um, because of all the lateral movement that he had to keep track of. And he came out there with a mission, and it's disappointing that he never got to flesh out uh, that mission because of injury. And I hope that this isn't a long-term thing for him. Um, it may end up being if it is a, a Achilles rupture. Like, 
uh, people have floated around, but the official word has not come back yet. And you could really see the effect that Durant has on everybody, really, by Bob Meyer's reaction. I mean, him breaking down, uh, tearing up because of what happened to Durant and, and trying to tell him, put the blame on him. And I think Durant has really ingratiated himself to this team over the last couple of years. And even if he does decide to leave in the offseason, and there's a decent chance he does, I don't think it'll be on bad terms, uh, even if they end up losing the series, just because he's demonstrated that he has resolve and, and wants to play um, and wants to be there for his teammates and loves his teammates. And I think that's something that we see often enough in sports but should be appreciated every time because it's a, it's like a gladiator, right? It's a trait that you really can't teach. I'm not going to make a prediction for Game 6. I've already said all I need to say about what I think is going to happen. Um, but Game 6 at Oracle Arena on Thursday. Last game ever at Oracle. It's going to be crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, and I'm so excited to be able to watch. Quick take. We're going to stay with basketball because the Warriors, and this was released just six minutes as for, uh, before I'm recording this, the Warriors have released a new logo for next season. And I'm going to be honest, I don't really like it that much. Uh, it looks basically the same as it did last year, except they have a new custom font and a more accurate portrayal of the Bay Bridge. And it's okay. I mean, my biggest beef with it, just looking at it, gut reaction, is probably the custom font. Uh, I think the, the font that they've been using uh, over the last, what is it, like six or seven years or so, is really iconic. And uh, I think changing it is not super not good for the brand. Plus, the W looks pretty nice the way it's framed. Um, but, I mean, I don't know if it was necessary. But the Bay Bridge is, uh, look, comparing the old logo to the new logo, it's basically the same thing. Um, I don't know if, if changing the brand was super super good idea. A super good idea. But, you know. Oh, by the way. Uh, someone, I basically said all I need to say about the logo. I was talking to my friend yesterday, and, or no, I don't remember, but imagine how crazy it would be if the Warriors brought back the We Believe uniforms for the final game at Oracle. Because they did that uh, for the final regular season game at Oracle. But could you imagine how crazy it would be if they, I don't know if you're, they're allowed to do that, because I know they had to uh, talk to the NBA and get like two years prior clearance uh, just to do the We Believe jersey. Uh, in the regular season. But I don't know if they can do that in the playoffs. Uh, plus, if if this really is the end of the run, maybe isn't the best idea to end with an old thing. Maybe it's best to kind of retire this new jersey uh, it, it, at Oracle. Um, and I think that would be pretty appropriate, so maybe not. But I just thought that would be a, a kind of interesting proposition to see if they could execute. Off topic, and I'm kind of free flow in this here a little bit, but I don't really, or I'm kind of curious what you all think about AirPods, because they've really come out 
over the last few years, or last year, however long they've been out. And I don't know but why, but for whatever reason, they quickly emerged as one of the leading status symbols, or at least uh, wealth symbols. Part of that is due to meme culture. I mean, the uh, he can't, or he or she can't hear me, they've got AirPods in, is one of the funnier memes I've seen over the last year. But there's a, I don't want to say stigma, because stigma's not the right word. But there's an association with AirPods of kind of holier-than-thou wealthiness. And whether that's comes out with everybody, I, I know for sure it comes out with me and a lot of people I've talked to, they feel the same way. And even though, like, I have a pair, but I don't, and they're, don't get me wrong, they're very convenient. I wear them at home sometimes just because it's nice to walk around and not to worry about cabling and more importantly, carrying the device itself. And like for someone like me who's got Spotify but doesn't have premium, uh, and so it's nice to be able to play things on other devices and still use my AirPods, um, but those devices can't go in my pocket like my computer that I'm recording on right now. Right? I can play any song I want on Spotify on the computer, uh, but not on the phone. But I can't carry my computer with me, so I just use AirPods, and it works nicely. But, like... I, I never wear them in public because, well, A, it's a lot more expensive if I, if I lose them. But B, they just seem kind of, and this might be my own personal flaws, like, you know, thinking what other people think. But it just seems a little bit outland, not outlandish, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a status symbol, I think, is what it's become. And it's a little frustrating. Um, and it's kind of the, the culture around us. And I know other people that feel the same way I do, and I've said that many times already. And I'm kind of staggering here a little bit, but I want to know what you guys think uh, and how they've been appropriated in our culture. Um, because there's nothing wrong with wearing them. It's just my personal opinion and, uh, and what I think about AirPods and all of that. Thanks so much for listening to the long takes. I was so caught up with the finals, I forgot to say the date. Uh, it was uh, Wednesday, June 12, 2019. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Check out all the stuff. Bit.ly slash the long takes. Patreon.com slash the long takes. The long takes at gmail.com. Send questions, leave voicemails, rate and subscribe on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, thanks so much for listening. And I will see you. Uh, when will I see you? I think I'll see you next week. Eh, we'll, we'll find out then.